The following was recorded for a live audience at Church of the King in Evansville, Indiana. It has been somewhat modified from its original version for the entertainment and edification of the home listener. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, you may know me as Pastor Jake, but for tonight, and I promise, tonight only, you'll know me as Mensel the Minimalist, and I will begin the night with nothing other than a magic trick. Are you ready? Wait! Whoa! 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 Yes? Whoa! Wait a second, Jake. Yeah. We promised people a quality time. Yeah. Here tonight? Yep. I've been talking this up. Yeah. Now? Yeah. For a while? Yeah, I'm really excited. Sorry. Jake. Yes. We promised people a quality time. Can we go back to whoa? <laughs> yeah, let's go back to whoa. Whoa! Whoa! Yeah! Jake. Yeah. Whoa! We, we promised people a quality time, and now you're giving them bad showmanship and cheap tricks? Yep. Jake, what is this? Kentucky? Hey! <laughs> you see the camera back there? This is going to be online. You can't say things about Kentucky. Jake, it's okay. <laughs> Kentucky doesn't have internet. <laughs> Kentucky is more than people in their trailers frying possums, Nathan. Well, I guess that's true. I mean, some of them might fry possums in the streets <laughs> or their yards. What, or... Nathan, how dare you insult Kentucky's cuisine? Thank you. How dare... Why, just the other week, my wife and I were at Kentucky's finest restaurant, and I, I, the waitress said something that I always love to hear. What's that? Welcome to KFC. Can I take your order? <laughs> Guys, Good there, one, ben. <laughs> there are probably people from Kentucky here tonight. Come on. No, we, we would have smelled the possum by now. It's... Oh, for goodness sake. <sighs> ben, what, what shirt are you wearing? Uh, What's the, the normal the, the shirt. Blue? The yeah. normal shirt. Why don't what? you unzip and show everybody what you're wearing? Why would I do that? Jake, I know what because I'm wearing. I think it might be a University of Kentucky shirt. No, that's not possible. I know what shirt I put on. I'm an adult. <laughs> Come on, pull it off. Jumping, Jehoshaphat. Yeah. Oh, goodness, gravy. Great Caesar's ghost. <laughs> cover it up. Some of your black Sorry. magic muscle. Cover, cover it up. Get it up. Get, uh, cover it up. Cover it up. Uh -huh. Got him. Get, get, get the zipper. Oh. I can't zip you know it. I know. I'm, it's like I'm from cover Kentucky. Cover up in Kentucky. <laughs> You're not from Kentucky. You can cover <sighs> up this. Okay. All right, everybody. Listen, I just wanted to start off the night with a simple magic trick. Uh, can we do that without insulting the entire state of Kentucky, please? Well, Jake, I mean, I'd, I'd say something nice about Kentucky, but it's a church event. We probably shouldn't lie. <laughs> Guys, Kentucky's perfectly nice. It's a great place to be. It's a bad idea to insult large swaths of our audience. Really? Yeah. Like, that's a bad idea. So, oh. uh, okay. let's make Kentucky off limits. And while we're at it, let's make the north side, the west mm. side, Newburgh all off limits. No, I think if you, it's not, it's fine. If you insult anyone from Newburgh, I know what to do. We'll just give them some cake. They'll go home happy. <laughs> Come on, Ben. I'm from Newburgh, man. And we don't have to worry about insulting any Northsiders. I mean, what are they going to do? Run us over with their tractors? Not every Northsider is a farmer. Come on. Yeah, the McCutcheonville folks are uh, more like thugs. Also, right? Like, also on tractors? 
Not everybody can afford a tractor. Huh. Oh, well, on, hey, we don't need to worry about insulting West Side people because, tell me this, when did a bunch of uptight Germans with a superiority complex ever hurt anybody? Huh? Huh? Uh, and we don't have to worry about insulting anyone from Boonville because to drive here, they'd need opposable thumbs. Oh, man, come Whoa, on, guys. Oh, good one, Nathan. Hey, uh, Nathan, aren't you mixing up uh, Boonville with Chandler? <laughs> ben? I'm afraid Boonville and Chandler got mixed up a long time ago, my friend. <laughs> That's All too right. far. You guys are going too far. That's, That's what, what I say every time I drive into Boonville. Boom. Got him. Got Can him. we just like go ahead and insult the east side and get it over with? And sure. Get on with the show. I, actually, the east side is pretty cool. Yeah, pretty cool. I, I like the I like the east side. Some really nice people. Some really live nice people there. there. Ah! That's right. <laughs> Represent east side. Represent. Represent. We're yeah. my east siders. All right. All right. So can I do the magic trick now? Are we done with the? Sure. Yeah. 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 We set we set everybody up. All right. All right. All right. Yeah, it was a great setup. I'm really happy with it. Thank you guys so much. You're welcome. Now for my first trick, I need a volunteer. I'll volunteer. I want to volunteer. Don't pick the kids. Or I'll volunteer. Fine. Okay, I need you to pick a number between one and ten. And uh, seven. My number is seven. And not say it out loud. Okay, can I have a different volunteer? Ooh, wait, oh, pick me. Pick me. Okay, fine. I picked the same number as Nathan. Seven? Don't say it out loud. Okay, okay. Everybody just play along, okay? This is a very involved trick, but it's going to pay off awesome, I promise. So everybody pick a number between one and ten. You got your numbers? Okay. Good. Everybody got their number? Okay, take your number and multiply it by nine, and that'll give you a new number. Can you do that math? <laughs> no? All right. <laughs> you have your new number. Okay, if it has one digit, don't worry about it. Just keep that number in your head. But if it has two digits, take those two digits and add them together. So if it's 31, three plus one is? Four. Good job. And your new number is four. If it's 37... It's three plus seven, and that is ten. Oh, good job. I didn't know you could do that. Okay, now do you have your new number? Everybody have their new number. That new number corresponds to a letter of the alphabet. So if it is one, your letter is A. If it is two, your letter is B. If it's three, your letter is C. If it's four, it's J. J? Yeah, no. No. <laughs> Good joke. All right, does everybody have their letter? Yes. Think of the first country that pops into your brain that starts with your letter. Got it? Got that country? Got your country? Yes. The second letter of your country is the first letter of your animal. You have an animal now. All right, all right. Everybody, if, you, you know, if you're lost or confused, that's okay. Just keep pretending like you know what you're talking about. Okay, I want you to picture your animal. Okay, I got it. Got your animal? I got it. Picture its color. Picture what it looks like. Put it in your country. Okay, now here's, here's the trick. Were you thinking of a gray elephant from Denmark? Wow. Wow, Jake. You did math wrong. <laughs> all right, all right, all right, all right, all right. Guys, shh. Is this the kind of 
thing that passes for a magic trick in Newburgh, Jake? (laughs) Those guys are good at one kind of magic trick and one kind only. Making cake disappear. Am I right? Oh, yeah. Bring it here, Ben. Mm. You are on fire Mm. tonight. Well, the thing about magic is that uh, what you do is you distract people. You make them look one direction while you're working in another direction. So? So, Ben, you came in here wearing a University of Kentucky shirt, is that right? Unfortunately. Hmm. Are you sure that's what you're wearing? Uh, I think I know what shirt I'm wearing, Jake. You might want to check. You're going to look silly. Am I? Yeah. Okay, let's see it. cake eaters. And Nathan, did you have anything in your pockets when you came up Do here? I have anything in my pocket? Uh, my pocket is completely empty ah! except for... No! Cake! Oh! No! 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 everybody. Welcome to the round table. As John said, this is Jake. This is Ben. I'm Nathan. We just got done with a little skit about illusions and magic, didn't we, gentlemen? Now, what was the point of that? Uh, the point is that we're just all easily fooled. Yeah, we're fooled about what's right and what's wrong, about what's good and what's bad, about what's true and what's false. We're fooled by magicians and illusionists and hypnotists. We can be fooled by liars and con men. You can be fooled by your friends. You can be fooled by your enemies. You can be fooled by news media or Disney movies for that matter. We can be fooled by our own eyes and our own ears. And most of all, we can be fooled by our own wicked hearts. Yeah, left to ourselves, we will worship idols and betray the God that made us, and that's evident in everything around us. We allow ourselves to be fooled, and we fool ourselves, which makes us... Idiots. Morons. I was just going to say makes us fools. Mm. Never mind. I don't get it. Mm. Well, anyway, so we need something outside ourselves. We need, like, a standard that we can trust. An authority. We need God to speak to us so that we can always check ourselves against what he says. So we can check our words against his word. And that's what he gave us. He gave us the Bible. Which brings us to the topic of tonight's presentation, how do we know we can trust the Bible? How do we know we can trust the Bible? How do we know we can trust the Bible? Where did we even get it? What if people just made it up? Why shouldn't we trust a different book, like the Koran or the Bhagavad Gita? Yeah, (laughs) or the Book of Mormon. Okay, maybe not the Book of Mormon, but still. (laughs) Bottom line, why Why should we trust the Bible? What is the Bible? The Bible is actually a compilation of 66 books with many different kinds of things, histories, song, law, philosophy, prophecy, 
personal letters. Yeah, it consists of two main parts. There's the first 39 books, which comprises the scriptures of the ancient Hebrews, and we call that the Old Testament. And then there are 27 books that we call the New Testament, which are books that were written after the time that Jesus came. They focus on his life and teachings. These books have been gathered together and they've been handed down to us over several thousand years. Now, how did that process happen and can we trust the process? I want to talk about that in a little segment that I call, How Did the Bible Come to Us and Can We Trust the Process? Welcome to How Did the Bible Come to Us and Can We Trust the Process? To begin, I need Scott and John to come up here with us. Come on, John and Scott. And I need five kids to volunteer. And Scott, you can pick them. Okay, kids, come up, line up in a row. We're going to play a game called Telephone. Go ahead and stand on the floor. Uh, I think on the floor It's probably best, yeah. Okay, line up. John's going to whisper a word to the first kid in the line, and you're going to pass it on down the line to Scott. Okay, okay, so kids, when I say go, here's what you need to do. I don't want you to hear the secret word. So you're going to put your hands on your ears and go, la, 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 la. Cover your ears. You ready? One, two, three, go. La, 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 the la, word la, is hamburger. La, 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 la. All right. <laughs> you were supposed to. Yeah, yeah. Do we yeah. need to pick a different word? Yeah, you're not supposed pick, to. No, pick, no, a, no. pick a different word. All right. You too, Scott. All right, ready? One, two, three. La, 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 the word is cheeseburger. <laughs> okay. Uh. All right. <laughs> All right. So I heard was Coke Machine Hitler. <laughs> Thank you. Round of applause for right. our volunteers. Thank you. Back Have to your seat. Good job. <laughs> all right, all right. So how do we know that the Bible didn't start out as whatever word he ended up saying and then become Coke Machine Hitler? A lot of people like to claim that sort of thing. Oh, the Bible was changed and altered and manipulated over years and years and years. They say that, you know, they started as one thing and then people cut and pasted their agendas and now the original Bible is just lost. Yeah, so Christians have been dealing with these claims for years and we're actually not very impressed by them. No, we're not because we have boatloads of evidence that the Bible in our hands today is the same Bible that was written but down by Moses and Peter and Paul originally, both the Old and the New Testament. Uh, one kind of evidence that we're going to talk about today is called manuscript evidence. And for the sake of time, we're going to talk specifically about the manuscript evidence for the New Testament. Okay, so when we look at the old books written hundreds or thousands of years ago, what we're actually looking at are handmade copies of those books that were passed down to us, handmade copies called manuscripts. They didn't have typewriters, they didn't have laptops, they didn't have Kinko's or FedEx. So if you wanted to copy a book, it took you hours by hand. So listen, we have so many copies of the New Testament from all over the world, different places, different countries, different regions, and we have 25,000 manuscripts of the New Testament hand-copied, dating all the way back to 125 AD and spanning all the way to 1500 AD. Now, not every one of those has the full text of the New Testament, but you know what all those copies let us do? They let us see if the game of telephone went wrong. 
But let us see if it went wrong like the one we just played. And you know what? The copies that we have agree almost 100% across the board. Copy after copy after copy, over and over, across the centuries and across countries and regions and places. Yeah, also the earliest copy that we have of the New Testament, or a part of it, was made only about 25 years after the original New Testament was actually written. That's not much of a gap between original writing and the first surviving copy. Look, this is so different from any other books that we have that are old or ancient, like, for instance, Homer. Yeah, uh, not Homer Simpson, of course. Ben, <laughs> you are a card. <laughs> I'm a card. Uh, no, we're talking about Homer, the blind poet, Odyssey, Iliad. Everybody heard of Homer? Yeah. So we have about 1,700 manuscripts of Homer. And the oldest one is from about 500 years after Homer would have written it. Okay, so that's 1,700 copies, 1,700 copies. Remember how many copies we have of the New Testament? 25,000. That's a lot more copies! Let's take another old dead guy. Julius Caesar, heard of him? First emperor of Rome, lived in first century BC, so he wrote a book about the wars he fought in Gaul. You'll never guess, but it's called The Gallic Wars. And how many old manuscripts do we have of this book? 10, only 10. And the oldest copy we have is nearly a thousand years after Caesar would have written that book. So if the manuscript evidence for Julius Caesar's Gallic Wars is a creek, the evidence for the New Testament is a river like the Ohio. Right, but even though we only have 10 copies of Julius Caesar's book, nobody, no historian doubts that we're reading Julius Caesar's words, his account of what happened, right? And so we should believe that we're reading what Peter wrote, what Paul wrote, that those words came down to us. Yeah, we could take one more famous author. We take Shakespeare, everyone's favorite playwright. Romeo and Juliet, King Lear, all the things that you kids love to read. Hey, did you guys know that there's a huge debate about whether or not Shakespeare even wrote all of Shakespeare's plays? Yeah, some people say that a different guy wrote them. Some people say that Shakespeare wrote them. But that's not actually the biggest problem with his plays. The biggest problem is that we have a whole bunch of different versions of his plays, and we actually have no idea what the final versions are. We have no clue. There's no way to tell because we are lacking a certain kind of evidence, manuscript evidence. Yep. And we don't have a good trail of manuscripts that we can trace back to the first, you know, copy or whatever, to the last one and say, this is the final version that he wrote. We just don't know that. We don't know. But for the New Testament, it's not a problem. We're able to tell that we ended with the same version as we started with. Yeah. So listen, the early church... Why were they so eager to make accurate copy on accurate copy on accurate copy and spread them everywhere? Because they saw that this was the word of God. Now, let's talk about another part of it, still keeping the focus on the New Testament. How did the early church decide what goes in and what goes out? Like Peter, Paul, all these guys had just written stuff. How do you decide what's scripture and what's not? Plus, there's a whole lot of fake stuff going around at the same time. Books that were claimed to be written by Paul or Peter, but were clearly forgeries. Right. The early church has some basic standards that let them sort the real from the fake. When we talk about this process, we use the word canon. Not like the cannonball canon, but like canon, a collection of books that are deemed to be sacred writing. So the canon of scripture is the collection of genuine books that forms the Bible. Right. So there were four standards of canonicity. 
Uh, one, did the apostles or someone really closely associated with them write it? That's good. Or did someone else write it? That's bad. Two, did it teach the orthodox gospel message? That's good. Or did it teach some weird, esoteric, non-Christian stuff? That would be bad. Third, was it actually old enough to have written, been written by the apostles or by their peeps? That's good. Or was it more modern and could not have actually been written by the apostles or their peeps? That's bad. Yeah. Four, had the church actually been using it and relying on it and thinking of it as God's word? Or was it some really new thing that suddenly popped onto everyone's radar? That's bad. From what we can tell, early Christians were passing around the letters of Paul in bundles almost as soon as they were written. And in fact, in Peter's letters, in the New Testament, he calls Paul's letters scripture. Yeah, it did not take long for people to recognize the words of God as the words of God and not man's words. Yeah, God's words have this way of standing out and letting you know this is not really the kind of thing that a man would have made up. Yeah, absolutely. And we'll come back to that point in a minute. It's a very important point. But let's sum up what we've said so far. We can trust that the Bible is what it has always been. 66 books passed down from generation to generation to generation. What we have today is the same Bible that Martin Luther had 500 years ago or that Augustine had 1,500 years ago. Which is the same Bible that the Apostle Paul contributed to 2,000 years ago and Moses contributed to 3,000 years ago. No text in human history, I just want to emphasize that, no text in human history has been more accurately, more consistently copied, translated, passed down, like all these things that we take for granted, your Homers, your Shakespeare's, your Julius Caesar's, they cannot hold a candle to the number of accurate and consistent copies of the scripture that we have. And that concludes our segment, how did the Bible come to us and can we trust the process? All right. So now let's ask the question. So if we have an accurate representation of what people wrote, Peter, Paul, how do we know that it's true in the first place? In other words, why trust the Bible? Why trust the Bible? Why trust the Bible? We have four answers for you today. Answer one. Because it describes reality. Answer two. Because it's true historically. Answer three. Because it changed the world. Answer four. We'll get to answer four when we get to answer four. Uh. But let's start with answer one for why to trust the Bible, because it describes reality. All right. <laughs> What do we mean by the Bible describing reality? We mean if you look at the Bible honestly, if you look at yourself honestly, you'll see that the Bible has our number. The Bible just tells us the truth about ourselves. It tells us the truth about sin. It says that we're all really bad people and that's just not a really common thing to say, but it is the truth about us. And if we are even a little bit honest with ourselves, we know it's true. I'm sure everyone here most people here at least, have had the experience of laying awake at night, thinking about bad things you've done, thinking about people that you've hurt, thinking about stuff you've done that you don't even understand why you did it. You just know it was bad. Yeah, we all hurt other people. We do evil things against other people. We do evil things against ourselves. We're weirdly self-destructive. And the Bible has a name for this, power of sin living in us. And so it explains us to ourselves. It just shows us the truth about ourselves. It explains our guilt, it explains our shame, and it brings us face to face with a holy God. And you know what, the truth is, there are a lot of things that are true that we don't necessarily like, like gravity. We don't believe in gravity because we like it. We believe in gravity because when we jump 
we come down. You jump off a 10-story building, you come down. You find out gravity is real, and you come to a nasty end. And if you ignore the truth about your sin, you're going to meet a nasty end too. People don't want the Bible to be true. Why is that? It's because they don't want to know the truth about themselves and to face it. But the Bible doesn't lie to us about the truth. It doesn't lie to us about ourselves. It doesn't flatter us. It doesn't even flatter its own heroes. Yeah, all the great men and women of the Bible have deep, dark secrets, and you read about them. You read about uh, Abraham passing off his wife as his sister twice, and his son Isaac doing the same thing, learning from his dad. It's pretty bad. King David, the great hero king of Israel, he wrote a lot of the Psalms, a lot of the Old Testament. Also, David, an adulterer and a murderer, and his sin's on full display in the Bible. It doesn't pull any punches. And we could go on. We could talk about Noah and Lot in the Old Testament. We could talk about Peter and Paul in the New Testament. Everyone we meet in the Bible has sin to deal with. There's only one hero in the Bible who doesn't have his deepest, darkest secrets revealed. It's Jesus. And that's because Jesus didn't have any deep, dark secrets to reveal. He's the only hero in the entire Bible. He came to save sinners like us. Yeah, so once again, you don't have to like the holiness of God or the fact of your sin, just like you don't have to like gravity. Actually, Ben, zip it for a second. You know, you guys keep using this gravity analogy. And yeah. I've decided I don't like gravity. What? I don't care for it. I mean, gravity is all right for skinny boys like Jake or like Ben, but for a husky boy like me, gravity is not my friend. I wear suspenders, okay? So let's just say I've decided to be done with gravity. Okay. I'm going to drop this mallet over Ben's head and it's going to float away like a balloon. Wee! Oh, Nathan, my old friend, I just don't think that you really need to, to do anything. Here we like go! That because. <laughs> Curses. Gravity wins again. Also, I appear to have cool killed Ben with my foolish pride. No! <laughs> Anyway, I think we were talking about uh, the point is we're all evil, and the Bible's the only... <laughs> did, you, did you make that plural? I didn't do anything. <laughs> There's one murderer on this platform. You stood by not... and allowed it to happen, I'm just saying. I protected life. I preserved my own life by getting away. <laughs> the Bible is the only book in the world that's honest about our evil, about our sin. It's the only book in the world that brings us face to face with the Holy God. If you're going to trust an authority, trust one that's honest with you. Honest about life, honest about death. Oh, hey, I'm magically alive again. <laughs> yeah, it's known to happen. Uh, I think, yeah, if I can, let's just move on to our next point. Um, so point one, the Bible's honest about us. It's true about us. Point two is the Bible is true historically. All right. People like to say... <laughs> What is the evidence that Jesus really existed, right? Like, where's the evidence that Moses was real or whoever? That's kind of like if I gave Nathan a copy of the book, The Gallic Wars by Julius Caesar, and then Nathan was all like, 
Here's this book about the war, but where's the evidence? This is historically true. Where's the evidence that Julius Caesar actually fought in these wars? Well, Nathan, you know, one important piece of evidence is that Julius Caesar wrote a book about it, and you're holding the evidence. Yeah, you're literally holding the evidence in your hand. If you want to ask whether or not it's true, you can ask that, but don't pretend like there's no evidence. You have the book. So in the Bible, we have, right, we have 66 sort of separate volumes written by different people over centuries brought together in one volume. Each of those 66 books in the Bible is itself evidence. It's historical evidence. How do we know about Moses or Abraham? We have some documents in the Bible that tell us about them. How do we know about Jesus? We have four different documents in the Bible called Gospels, each written by four different people who compiled evidence from eyewitnesses. But I can't accept evidence about miracles in God because I don't believe in miracles in God. I don't believe in that stuff. And why don't you believe in miracles in God? Because there's no evidence. I want proof. Right. So that's really how it goes. You can't accept the Bible as historical evidence because you already decided that's not the kind of evidence you're going to accept. So if I were to say, for example, that the book of Isaiah, written hundreds of years before Jesus lived, has accurate prophecies about him that were fulfilled and that we have four Gospels talking about this, you would say, I don't believe in prophecy. If I say it's amazing how all the different books of the Bible have a united message when you consider that they're written over hundreds of years by all these different people, that's amazing. I said, no way! It's a miracle! That would have to be a miracle for all those books to be written together, and I don't believe in miracles! And if I were to say, uh, let's begin to look at all the evidence for the resurrection, you would say... People don't raise from the dead! That's unscientific! But there's evidence. I think everyone is lying about it! And this has been a deep debate. Uh-huh. So the point is, there is lots of evidence for the historical truth of the Bible. We won't even get into the way that archaeologists keep digging up things that confirm the existence of people groups and cities and historical events that are recorded in the Bible. There's just a lot more we can say about why the Bible is historically true and reliable. But let's start with the fact that the Bible itself is actually a giant compilation of evidence. That's what it is. And we better move on to our third point because uh, we got to go. Right. Okay. So point one, it's true because it describes us honestly. Point two, it's historically true and reliable. And point three, it has this effect on Western civilization. We don't actually have a lot of time to talk about point three, but the Bible has done a lot through history, right? That's yeah, putting it mildly. It's kind of transformed the world. Right. Everywhere the Bible has gone, everywhere Christianity has gone, it has transformed the culture in ways that even an honest pagan would agree are awesome. Yeah, we could talk about the end of slavery. We could talk about legal protections for women and children. We could talk about libraries and books and the printing press and medicine and hospitals and air conditioning. Christianity has done so much for Western civilization. We could spend all night talking about it if we wanted to. And we could get into the weeds. Right, because that's where our opponents would want to talk about, like, uh... The Inquisition! The Crusades! Evil Christian colonizers wiping out in Pocahontas! Yeah, all those Christian explorers being mean to all those poor cannibals, abolishing all the child sacrifice and bloodshed across the pagan lands. Well, that would be part of our answer, right? Like, don't buy all the propaganda from Pocahontas or whatever, that it was just a beautiful people, one with nature, until mean Christians came along. 
Yeah, another part of our answer would be that people are sinners and that Christians are sinners and that in the name of Jesus, we've done some dumb and violent things. I mean, even you have a disciple of Jesus cutting off a soldier's ear so somebody, in the Garden of Gethsemane. Sorry to step on you, but yeah, somebody committed a dumb act of bloodshed in Jesus' name before Jesus had ever died and rose again, right? It shouldn't surprise us that they've done it in your sense. Right. Every important big cause in the world, good ones, bad ones, in-between ones, if it's big and it's it's important, it's going to attract zealots. It's going to attract, you know, self-made martyrs, even sadists and psychopaths, right? Because that's how people are in a sinful world, right? So what you have to do is look through the entire course of history, find where true biblical Christianity is, and then see what it has accomplished and whether Christ's influence on the West overall has been good or has been bad. Yeah, if you do that honestly, you'll see that Christ's influence is hugely, overwhelmingly positive. Yeah, and if anybody wants to argue with that, just ask them if they'd like to move to a country where Christianity has not been. They're going to say no, or they're going to lie. Like, here's a question for all you ladies. Uh, how, you, how would you like to live in a society shaped by the Koran? I mean, there are Muslim countries, uh, we, don't, we don't really want to get into it, but there are Muslim countries that still practice slavery, right? And there's a reason that slavery isn't practiced anymore in the Western world. It's just the influence of Scripture. Who wants to live in a country influenced primarily by the Hindu Scriptures with their teachings about karma and letting karma just run its course? Often what that means is not helping people in need. Is that person poor? Do they have an awful mommy or daddy? Do they have a disease? Are they an orphan and all alone? Well, they must have done something bad in a past life, so don't interfere. No orphanages, no hospitals, no help. This is a really interesting topic, and we could keep talking about it forever, but for tonight, let's just say the Bible's influence on culture has been profoundly good, and we should move on to our fourth point, but I'm being told that someone wants to present a rebuttal? Someone does. Let me just say, first of all, whoa, whoa, whoa. Time out. Time out. Cease and desist. Hey, ladies and germs, it's me, Quinn Seltzer. <laughs> Lifelong learner, full-time dreamer, part-time lover, artist, author, raconteur, four-time Starbucks Employee of the Month award winner, and uh, voted second most likely to succeed in the family newsletter my mom put out when I was a kid. <laughs> and I would have been first, too, if Fido hadn't been such a good boy. <laughs> anyway, uh, I don't want to be a party pooper, but I've got El Bono to pico with Jake and Nathan and Benno. I mean, sure, you know, they made some pretty compelling arguments <laughs> for morons. <laughs> Unfortunately for them, Mrs. Seltzer didn't raise no morons, something she was constantly explaining to my grade school teachers. <laughs> All right, well, listen, yeah, you know, they've said some things that sound pretty convincing, I guess, but they left out one teeny-weeny thing, just one little thing. Uh, let's see here, could it be a little thing called science? A little thing called reason? That's right, that's right. Yeah, but not the quenster. I am Mr. Reason. <laughs> I am Mr. Science. In fact, as any lady who's been on a date with me can attest, my favorite branch of science is geology. <laughs> that's the one I like to talk about on dates, okay? All right. Well, 
Anyway, how about we just bring a little cold, hard observation, put on our little observation glasses, and ask some questions here. Riddle me this, Batman. Can you prove beyond a shadow of a doubt that the things in the Bible really happen? Hmm? Can you? Uh, how about, do the things in the Bible accord with the laws of nature? <laughs> That's a pretty good one. Oh, uh, how about, can, with these heavenly realities, can you see them? Can you taste them? Can you touch them? Can you feel them? Au contraire, mon capitaine. <laughs> Let me tell you the facts, Jack. Facts. All that you can know in this world is what comes to you through your senses. I mean, how do you know? How do you know that a handsome, awesome guy is up here on the stage? Well, you can see him with your little eyes, can't you? How do you know that there's witty and insightful things coming out of his mouth? Well, you can hear them, can't you? Yeah, you can absolutely hear them. And, and that's right. But what about the heavenly realities of Scripture? Oh, I don't think so. I don't think so at all. I mean, look, you know this stool is real, right? Like I can, I can even put my weight on it so we know it's real. Although, although, oh, that brings up a really important point. <laughs> okay, riddle me this. How do you know you can trust your senses? Hmm? Huh? Huh? <laughs> your eyes could be lying to you. My eyes could be lying to me. That's right. You could be lying to me, Mr. and Mrs. Peepers. Yes, I call my eyes Mr. and Mrs. Peepers, like an awesome guy would, because that's what I am. Anyway, this could all be a simulation, bro. We might not even be here, brah. Bleep bloop. I am a computer robot video game. I mean, it's just, it's just like that movie everybody likes about The Matrix. The Matrix! I mean, it could be turtles all the way down, bro. You don't know. You just don't know. So sure, you can have your religion, quote unquote. You can lick your lollipop, quote unquote. You can click your heels, quote unquote, together, quote unquote. Or you can be done with your comfortable lies and admit that you don't know Jack, Jack. And then you can be free just to embrace the horrible, senseless nightmare of existence. <laughs> just give it a big hug. I mean, because look, if nothing means anything, anything can mean what you want it to mean. I don't know if that sentence even makes sense, but it sounds so cool. And then the point is, you could just focus on happiness instead of living for some pie in the sky. I mean, if happiness is even like real, you know, if it's not just empty sounds made in the air, then you can focus on happiness, which works until you get like sick or older. Um, I guess you, you die, and then your existence is snuffed out like a candle flame in a massive ocean of darkness. <laughs> anyway, point is, cool guys like me, who are clearly in their 20s, we don't need to worry about stuff like that. I mean, I'm pretty sure that we don't. Um, uh, and I think my bigger point was that Nathan and Jake and Ben, they've been trying to argue that you need a foundation, and that that's the Bible. And look, the Quinster's here to tell you, you don't need a foundation at all, baby. All right. Hey, it's been great. I'll see you cats later. I'll see you guys. Um. Oh, 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 ow, oh, no, oh, I, think, I think my pelvis might be real. And I think it's broken. Ah. Ah.
Let's talk about what he just brought up, which is what basis do we have for knowing that anything is real, let alone the Bible? Oh, wow. Well, I think the first thing to say about that is that it's funny because Quentin goes straight into absurdity and just completely defeats himself, doesn't he? Yeah, Quentin needs something outside of himself. Once he gets inside, locked up in his own reason, in his own head, in his own senses, he just starts to go in circles until he falls apart, right? He needs something objective outside of himself that he can fix on. A foundation, a lighthouse, a guiding star out there that he can point towards that is real and solid that he can depend on. Right. He's trying to figure out what meaning there is, how you can know, and... He's running into these, these riddles that philosophers have dealt with through the ages, right? Yeah, the first riddle is uh, we're moral creatures. We all feel that inside of us. We all feel right and wrong and guilt about things. Why is that? Where does that come from? Is there any reason to be a good person? Why do we feel all this stuff about guilt and shame and right and wrong? Like, what does that matter if we're just chemicals floating in space? Yeah, riddle two is we're reasonable. Like, we use reason and we use logic, but then we're also ridiculous. We're, not, we're wrong, and then sometimes our use of reason drives us into insanity. So what's up with that? How can we be both reasonable but unreasonable? Trusting our reason, but we can't trust our reason. Riddle three, we trust our senses. We trust what we see, what we can touch, what we can taste, what we can smell, and yet things can mess that up, right? There, you can, there are drugs and alcohol. There's mental diseases that you can have. You can't always trust your senses, actually. Sometimes they play tricks on you. Yeah, and then there's riddle four, which is the sense that we all have that there is something bigger than us. There is a God. There is design. There is a creator. And yet we want to deny that, and our understanding of him is corrupted. And everything just gets really muddled and mixed up. And that's why you have all these uh, rich billionaires talking about well, clearly there's design, so we must live in some computer simulation. Right. So, okay, what can explain all this? Yeah, and if we're insane or evil or crazy, right, what can correct us and bring us back on course? We need a standard outside of ourselves that we can rely on, a foundation that we can trust, a guiding star, and that's the Bible. Right, there's a C.S. Lewis quote, I always get this wrong, but it's something like, I don't, believe, or, I don't just believe into the, in the... In, the scripture is like I believe in the sun because I can see it. What's the quote? <laughs> I, don't, I don't believe in the sun just because I can see it, but by its light but, I see everything But because else. by its light I can see everything else, right? Mm-hmm. And so the reason we believe in the Bible isn't just because we can see what's true in the Bible. It's because by the Bible we can see everything else. Yeah, so God's word gives us a foundation for these riddles, for reason and morality and the other things. And... The Bible explains those riddles. Creation, we're made in God's image, explains a lot about who we are and our relationship with God and our understanding of right and wrong. And then the fall of man explains why we get so corrupted and backward in our thinking and why we reject God and why we do hard, harmful things to ourselves and other people. Yeah, so you have both the reason that we're reasonable and moral and have a sense of God and the reason that those things are broken and we can't just trust them and use them. And then because God saves us from sin... Which is explained by the Bible. We can know what's true and right and good. But Jake, where will we go to learn what's true and right and good? I'll give you a hint. All right. Starts with a B. Book of Mormon. No. (laughs) Okay. It's the Bible. 
Oh, the answer is the Bible. I knew that. Thanks. Also, as we've been talking about, the Bible is historically true. There's so much evidence for the Bible, right? Yeah, also, I mean, the Bible, here's another evidence for it. We mentioned this briefly, but it has a united message. Remember, it's all these different books. It's all these different authors. There is actually a united message. That's not something humans can just do. Especially over thousands of years. Right. Speaking of which, the Bible has been preserved perfectly for thousands of years. And in the centuries since we've had it, the Bible really has changed the world, and it really has changed the world for the better. So in summary, the Bible gives us a foundation to build our lives on, to build a community on, to build or rebuild the world on, to build a society on. Right. And in case you're tempted to hear it like, this is just pragmatic, you've got to have a foundation or something, so just pick the Bible. No, that's not what we're saying. We're saying there are other holy books that, they, that don't do this, that don't give you a foundation. There are other systems of truth, and they don't do this. God's Word does. And as the Bible itself testifies, God's Word, God's very existence is written in our heart. The fact is, there's no one in this room, there's no one that you interact with, not the most hardened atheist, who doesn't actually believe in their heart of hearts in the Bible, in Scripture, in God as he reveals himself in the Bible right? We all know it's true. And so sum it up up for us, Jake. So in summary, God's word explains ourselves to us. It explains the world to us. It's historically true. It has in fact changed the world. And it does give us that objective foundation we need in order to not just go insane, but to build a life on. Right. Of course, I just want to say that not every magic trick is an illusion. Whoa. Whoa. Give it up, Ben. That's our show, ladies and gentlemen.